Hello, I hope everybody enjoys this upcoming episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason, where I talk to Austin and Jason Jones, the Jones Boys Hunting Squad. Uh, this episode was actually recorded back in late December, I believe, but due to some issues with the original recording, I had to spend a little bit of extra time editing than I had anticipated. So you're going to hear things talked about like upcoming ATA show and items that have already happened that at the time of the recording hadn't happened yet. So sit back, enjoy. These guys are just an absolute riot to talk with and a lot of fun. And I hope you enjoy the show. This is Mark Martin, Pro Angler. You're listening to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Racks, offering the coolest bow hanger on the market. Display your bow with pride in your house, your garage, or anywhere you'd like. We carry most major brands while also offering a custom service if you have an idea or logo of your own that you'd like made into a hanger. Use them to display your traditional bow, compound bow, or even your crossbow. They also work great for hanging your hunting gear, your bags, or hats. Not to mention the design just looks plain awesome all by themselves. A Racks hanger makes for a great gift for that special hunter in your life. Go to RacksInc.com to see some of the available designs or contact us to discuss the custom hanger of your own. For listeners of the Outdoor Adventures with Jason podcast, use the promo code PODCAST and get 15% off your first order. Racks, show off your passion. Welcome to this episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. This is kind of a unique one because I'm sitting here at the Mid Thumb Bowman's Archery Club in Brown City, Michigan. We've taken the show kind of on the road. I finally have gotten to catch up with these guys. I've got Jason and Austin Jones sitting with me, the Jones boys. These guys, if you haven't been following on Facebook, are all over the place. So getting them caught up and sitting down here together at the bow club was really a, a joy for me. I got to watch Austin do a little shooting, and now we're going to do a little talking and shooting the breeze. So enough of me. How are you guys doing? I'm pretty good, and thanks for having us on here. Oh, my pleasure. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. All right. So... Tell me a little bit about the background here of what brought you guys to the hunting the way you do it. How did, how did this all start? Because I see pictures of you guys traveling all over the United States. Where did it start? Well, let's see. When I was little, I didn't get to hunt. He, I always seen him hunting, and he would kill a bunch of little bucks. <laughs> bunch of little bucks. Bring them back home. and like I fell in love with hunting itself, but I never got the opportunity to hunt until... What was I? Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. And then I got a crossbow, and he, they got me a crossbow and started shooting, but I never hunted with the crossbow. I actually, the first time I hunted, I was gun hunting, and that was one of the only times I'd ever gun hunted. And uh, we had a deer, and she came by. It was a doe, probably 25, 30 yards, and she crossed right in front of us, and that was, that was the first time I ever seen a deer in the wild, and I was instantly hooked. And fell in love with it there. That was the biggest adrenaline rush of my life. And from there, I knew I wanted to hunt. So you were 12 at that time? Was I 12 or 14? Uh, your first deer hunt, you were 14, because you had to be 14 still to firearm hunt. Yeah. Okay. So. So, yeah, we're in Michigan. You guys are from Michigan. Yes. The Clio area, but now you live a little farther north. And we live in Mayville. In Mayville. And 
for people that are listening and maybe haven't seen any of the videos that Austin puts out, Austin is in a wheelchair uh, and is a, as a disabled handicap, you know, hunter, you have some limitations. And luckily, Michigan allowed crossbows to be used. Yes, sir. At that time, it was difficult to get one. You had to jump through a lot of hoops yep. with doctor's notes and all this kind of stuff. And now it's not like, the, I mean, now you just go down to Cabela's, Bass Pro, right. Sporting Goods, wherever, and buy one. I mean, when yeah. I got my first one, it, it wasn't too hard to get it when I got it because I, I don't know. I think it might have been approved. No, what year did they open up crossbows for everybody? I'm not sure. I don't remember what year it was, but when I got mine, it, we just bought it. Over well, the- not there wasn't a problem buying them. It was a problem using them. Hunting. Yeah, yeah. You had to have the standing vehicle permit and all that stuff, but. Yeah. Yeah, you had to carry everything with you in the right. field. Yep. So if anybody came up and asked, and now obviously with you being in a wheelchair, there's a little more, it's easy to see, hey, this guy probably has all the legal paperwork yeah. for, you know, yeah. crossbow hunting. Yeah, I've never been questioned or anything like yeah. that, thankfully. <laughs> Not here in Michigan, but there's a lot of states still where it's a big pain. I mean, there's states where we've had opportunities to hunt while we were on the road. We had a chance to go to Washington State this year, but just to get a permit would take, what they say, three, three, weeks. Six, yeah, three, three, six three weeks. weeks at the minimum, six weeks probably. Wow. And and that's which I mean, I seems kind of ridiculous. You can get a hunter safety certificate in two days, right. and nobody questions anything, and then you can hunt. But I don't know. I guess I don't understand why somebody in my situation I feel like should just be able to go into a DNR office and be handed a permit and not have to get the runaround about wanting to hunt. I completely it, agree. It kind of puts a little kibosh on the desire when you have to jump through a bunch of hoops to do it. So many people don't even think about or take it for granted when they walk in and buy an over-the-counter tag for whatever species they want to hunt. But then for anybody that's dealing with the disability side of the house, you can run into the issues, like you said, three to six weeks. Well, what's three to six weeks? I'm planning on being out there here. But if I've only got a week slot to be out there, but you're telling me you need a four or five week slot to get me the tag, I can't. You can't do any impromptu things. You got to plan everything out well in advance and you got to make sure that then you have to go to your doctors. You have to get the paperwork filled out. And in most places, make you renew it every year. Michigan does for, well, that's for. Uh, Standing vehicle permit? No, for the no. for a transfer tag. You have to oh, yeah, that transfer. But that's different. But, uh, there's that's different. That's a cool program, though, that like in Michigan, you can people can transfer their bear tags or elk tags to people with terminal illnesses or youth people. And kids. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, you can transfer your if you did if you were to draw a bear tag and you wanted to, you could transfer it to someone who's under 16 years of age, or you can transfer it to someone who has a terminal life-threatening illness. That's actually how I've been able to hunt. So, what a great way to handle it to allow somebody to give their tag. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of people who draw tags for some reason you can't go. Austin was able last year um, his elk hunt that was uh, that was donated. That was donated. They actually tried donating it to a little buddy of ours, Charlie. Um, But he was at that up until this year you had to be 10 before they allowed you to transfer a tag to someone. Which Charlie he wasn't old enough and unfortunately he we lost him this summer and so he didn't get a chance to go elk hunting. But because of our involvement with wheeling team 457 that's how we knew charlie wheeling team that's kind of how austin really that was kind of the catalyst for us to really take off hunting because before that i'd get austin out hunting 10 or 15 hours a year and it was a real struggle we didn't have this track chair and we were at the woods and waters show we bought our house here in mayville and we went to the woods and waters show just on a whim one saturday didn't have anything to do and as we're going through there we ran into ray brown from wheeling team 457 he's the fellow started wheeling team 457 he wound up i'm getting late onset muscular just free and wound up in a wheelchair and he wanted to keep hunting and so now it's just it's a great uh, 501c3 nonprofit that goes completely by donations and volunteers there's nobody paid and, and they probably get close to 100 people out hunting or fishing each year in wheelchairs locally here in the thumb oh, area fantastic yeah. and uh, i mean and so we met ray and then he wanted to show us something and so he took us over and showed us this chair, this this chair. action track chair and 
it was just amazing. And we looked at them, and of course, there was no way we could afford them because they're upwards of fifteen thousand dollars, fourteen yeah, to fifteen thousand dollars. And um, so my sister found out about it, and once she found out about it, she started a fundraiser, which I never would have because it just didn't seem right. And right, it still kind of doesn't seem right. But that goes back to that thing: we don't feel right asking for help. You know, but there's a lot of good people that want to help. And, and that's what it came down to. Even myself, I have an issue with walking with my leg. And I always, I, I, I used to sit there and people would say, hey, can I, just something simple as, can I help you put your groceries in your car? No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. And then somebody said to me one time, let them. Because that's their good deed for the day. Yeah. You know, they're wanting, and I'm, yeah. I go, wow, I never thought about it that way. And I kind of backed off a little bit and said, yeah, you help me out that way, that's fine. That's kind of, Ray taught us that same lesson yeah. um, because we were real resistant to a lot of things. And, and uh, so anyways, my sister, she started a fundraiser and she called us up hysterical one night at midnight. They woke me up. I was in dead sleep. I was passed right out. And I answered the phone and they're both crying their eyes out. And I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, someone made a huge donation. And, anonymously. Uh, anonymous, anonymously. And he Can you say able, that word, Dad? No. Someone so, who, who didn't want us to know who they were. <laughs> so to this day, you don't know who made no, the donation? No, we still don't know. And they donated. A lot. Yeah. And, and uh, that enabled you to be able to get the, the track chair. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And where are those manufactured? This one's manufactured in Minnesota, I think. Minnesota? There's, yeah, this is made by Action Manufacturing, Action okay. Track yep. Chair. Um, there's it's a n- tank. It, it is. is. It, essentially, I mean, it's it, a miniature tank. It's a tank treads with a basically a bow stand welded to it. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, is it, it? I mean, it's something else. It, it it goes through pretty much anything. I try to make it go through, and I've tried to make it go through a lot of stuff. You've been blessed to do a number of really cool hunts. Oh, yeah. And where I first saw was your elk hunt, which maybe a year, year and a half ago. Yep, that was a year ago in August. So, yep. And somebody forwarded me the video and said, hey, these guys are right by from where you grew up. Because I, I live in Croswell. You guys are maybe you know, an right. hour away from each other. Yeah, we're neighbors. Yeah, and we and actually hunt in Croswell. So. so they said, this this guy's hunting, you know, he's from right by you. So I was watching. I'm like, this is pretty cool. And you took a cow, right? Yep, cow elk. And that was, I was watching, I'm going, wow, that's really slick. And so today to be sitting here to look at the crossbow that you were using and, you know, the, the technology behind that and the structure and how it's set up, I'm like, this is really slick equipment. Um, and I'm going to kind of bounce around here a little bit, talk about crossbows, because that's what you shoot. Austin, you line up and sight up the crossbow. You you tell yep. Jason, your dad, who's kneeling next to you, how yep. to move the crossbow. Yeah, I look through the scope and... He holds the crossbow. He puts his thumb on the trigger. and Not on the trigger. Not on. Well, <laughs> close, close to the trigger. If he puts it on it, it goes off. But well, and the thing that I was watching, I'm sitting there going, in the different you know shoots that there are and the hunting and all the stuff that can go wrong, I said, most people when they're holding their crossbow are holding it with their heads up. Yep. You're doing it at a 90-degree angle. Yeah, So you're looking sideways. sideways. Yeah. And I'm looking at that going, wow, that just throws a whole complexity. It does. What's right, what's left, back and forth. Because you're at a 90-degree angle. Yeah. So it's it's completely, you got to completely think how to tell Jason how to move this crossbow. Yeah, I mean, it... I never thought of that before. It kind of throws me off in a way. I've never actually thought about it that way, but it does throw me off. But since, I mean, I've spent my whole life a little bit crooked from my scoliosis. So I hope every, I didn't just jinx you. Now you're going to no, sit there going, now 90-degree angles, I got to... No, I just, like, everything I've looked at my entire life is pretty much at a 90-degree angle, so I just take everything in at a 90-degree angle, I guess. 
Yeah, to me, that was, I'm like, talk about adding a level of complexity to it is you're using, because your scope's not turned 90 degrees. Everything is level as if you were shooting with a a straight vertical stance, but you're at a 90 degree angle using everything in a vertical stance. Yep, yeah, it's, I mean, it it gets a little bit confusing. And trying to look through my scope, because right now I don't have a level on my crossbow. Usually I have a level to make sure it's level. But right now I don't have a level, so looking through my scope and trying to tell if it's level when I'm shooting, that's just awful. Well, it's you, funny because you didn't used to use a level, and you used to think that you were really good yeah. that way. And then once you put a level on there, you can't hardly shoot without it. So. I used to I used to shoot a lot without a level, and now that I have the level, I noticed that when I thought I was shooting good, I was actually not level. It, does it, did you notice a big difference in the arrow flight oh, when yeah. you leveled it off? Yeah. Arrow flight, yeah. You don't get your left and rights nearly as much if you're holding level. And we found that out shooting the ASA circuit because Austin's shooting against the, I mean, arguably the best 3D crossbow shooters in the world. And uh, those guys were whipping his tail for the most part. Yeah, they've been uh, really helpful in actually yeah. where we've got. Uh, giving you tips on how oh, to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've met most of the guys I've ever met in this are all pretty cool. You know, they they want to help people out yep. if, if they can. And so as I was watching you shoot here today at the at the boat club, you weren't with a level on the crossbow, and you were swinging rights and lefts a little bit. Is that is, is that what you attribute it to? With no, I, I wouldn't say that's the problem today. I think more so today it's just because we haven't shot in a while. We haven't, we haven't okay. practiced, and we're not, we're not in tune right now. Right. we got a lot of work to do. Yeah, we're going to, before Vegas, he's probably going to have to shoot about three or 4,000 arrows at least. And, I mean, that's, it's the first time I've shot with those arrows. We just built those arrows yesterday. These, so. uh, we're shooting feathers from Ozark Ozark Feathers right now. We're trying those out and seeing how they shoot in the looks right now. Yeah, because like they're the, pounded. <laughs> you're shooting regular arrows out of your crossbow. Yes, yeah, sir. he shoots Black Eagle PS23s. PS23s. I shoot PS23s for competition, and then I shoot carnivores for hunting arrows. Okay, and... The crossbows you are using are totally unique. You're shooting a brand from Gearhead out of Minnesota or Wisconsin? Wisconsin. 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 Yep. Gearhead's from Wisconsin, and that's a Gearhead X16. And these um, are literally series. the F16? X. X16. X16. Yep. X16. And for folks, they're literally two pieces of CNC metal that they just then bolt together and put then put the bow on the end. They're the lightest crossbow I've ever I've ever held. Yep. Uh, there's just not a whole lot to them. They're really slick. No, they're they basically they're structured kind of like you see the bridges or or whatnot. Um, and it's, it's built for strength, strength and durability. Yeah, the damp. You know, when you think of the traditional archery dampers, you think of them on the on the limbs, and yep. you know these are are tucked in to the body tucked of the crossbow. There. Yep. Right. To to take out the vibration of the the metal as it travels down it. it. There's hardly it's the smoothest shooting crossbow that Austin's ever shot. Yep, I've for never sure. It's kind of like when you shoot a compound. People say it's dead in the hand. It's the same thing with that crossbow. There's yeah, it, it was, doesn't recoil. There's no shock to it. Very quiet as we were sitting there in the range. The the only noise was the actual arrow hitting the target, which is what you want. Yep, right. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's another thing about that crossbow that I love. It's quiet. I don't have to. It's not fast, but I'm not worried about speed if I'm trying to be stealthy and get in there and get in close range and get a shot off. I'm trying to get the shot off before an animal hears me anyways. So now, you guys, you were just recently in Arizona hunting. Yep. Yeah, we hunted with uh, Stephen Ward. Stephen Ward out there and a lot of different species. You guys were doing coos deer? Coos deer, right. So tell us what happened. 
Well, Austin's trying to uh, – Austin's one of his goals is to, to hunt the Super Slam, all okay. 29 big game species in North America, and obviously coos deer are one of them. So I put a Facebook post on a coos deer hunting site, and oh my word, I think coos deer hunters must be probably the friendliest guys in the world because I got so many offers for people. And then when Stephen Ward offered, I mean, no offense to anybody else, but it's hard to turn down someone with his reputation when it comes right. to coos deer hunting, obviously. So um, he said that he'd get us on a coos deer, and coos deer are arguably the hardest species in North America can hunt according to a lot of people and uh and so yeah he said that he'd take us or take austin and we arranged it wound up in arizona somehow and then i don't know you can tell him about that because you have well, a lot I mean, better memory than i do for the first what was it three days we didn't, didn't see anything no. i don't know if it was because we were stinking or what which they just wouldn't come into the water and finally we set up in a different spot in a blind and i mean coos deer they don't they don't have big racks right and their bodies are just so tiny it's like it would be kind of the equivalent to shooting a button buck here that's Body how small wise. they are yeah. And so any buck is actually a trophy when it comes to coos deer. And I mean, that's what it is with all animals. Any animal that with archery equipment is a trophy. But I mean, this, it was the last day and we had a little buck man and a couple does and I didn't shoot the little buck. I was kind of regretting it because for the first few days we hadn't seen a buck. And I was like, that's, that's the only buck we're going to see. And, and that I'm was after... Gonna... We yeah. stayed an extra night because Stephen asked us if, come on, give it one more shot, hunt in the morning, and because we were getting ready to head to Wyoming. And uh, but uh, I mean, it, we stayed and they had us put us in a great spot, and there was there was actually a lot of bigger bucks coming into that spot in the evening, but there they weren't morning. There wasn't a lot of morning action there, and that's all we had was a morning. So the second buck came in, and uh, we thought he we thought he spooked. He came in and he heard us moving. And, uh, that's because he came in. He came in about seven or eight yards to our right. Yeah, like, he was close. He wasn't where we expected him to came, come in. He came down the hill. We were in a pop-up blind tucked in on the side of this mountain. So he walked right by the pop-up blind. Yeah. Yeah, he was really close. And, and he came in, and uh, he got where I couldn't see him anymore. And I was like, all right. And I never seen him come out. I never seen him leave. And then finally, I thought I seen him run up the hill. So like, all right, he's gone. We screwed that up. But sure you enough, screwed that up. Yeah, I screwed that up, of course. No, we were sitting there, and uh, sure enough, we were getting, like, I was sitting back up in my chair getting all relaxed and everything, and I look out in front of us, and he's standing there at 20 yards. Wow. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's why they call him the Grey Ghost, because they can just come in just like that, and you have no idea. And uh, so I got on him, and I, I shot, and it, it hit him, and made a loud, loud noise, loud whack, and uh, he took off. And that is the fastest animal I've ever seen in my life. From the time I shot to the time he was gone, I didn't see him take off. I had no idea where he went. Like, he literally disappeared. But I thought I seen my arrow in his shoulder. What? So it wasn't a pass-through? Nope. Nope. So he ran off with the arrow sticking out yep. of him? Yeah. Yep. Where in Arizona were you hunting? Uh, near, uh, near, uh, near the mountains and the desert. The yeah, why not? I have oh, no word. idea. Uh, Wilcox, Arizona. Yeah, Wilcox. Wilcox. Okay. Wilcox, Arizona is where we were. And I lived in Arizona for about 10 years. We hunted actually three different mountain ranges down there. That was pretty cool. I, I never expected Arizona to look like that. I thought it was going to be some big brown desert. <laughs> Everywhere we go, we have these misconceptions of what you know the United States is like. And every place we go, we're amazed. Because there's not a place I don't think that we've been that doesn't have you know beautiful features that just... So you you successfully scored on a deer down there. Yep. Funny story is we couldn't find it for a while. No. And uh, we, for some point there, we thought I actually might have missed. And my arrow went into the trees. I was like, I'm just, I'm 90, 99% sure. Yeah. And so we film everything. And so we go back and we look at the footage and we're playing it. 
and the deer came in and it's right there perfectly framed in the center of the frame and which isn't can, perfect for video but well, it was I for mean, us at the moment yeah well your 4k you can crop however you want but that's neither here nor there so everything's going perfect we got the cameras running the deer came in we're getting lined up on it austin says shoot and somewhere between that five or six seconds if that the camera shut off and we oh. didn't get the shot <laughs> the one thing you need yeah yes, it's so gone we it, had it no shut idea off for some reason we have no idea why it shut off i had no idea where i hit like i like i said i thought i hit it in the shoulder and i thought i seen the arrow in it but it disappeared so fast i i really couldn't tell and sure enough how far away was it when you found it it probably went probably ran 150 yards on it took just us like two hours to find it yeah because we didn't uh we we didn't find any blood, but it was hard to look for blood there in those mountains with the different, the red and the rocks. Yeah, there's and all a lot of different and, colors. And uh, so I just eventually I was like, man, I know he had to hit it. So I just took off the way that it felt like it should have went. And uh, I mean, we were everybody was ready to just give it up. And you know, I mean, we did our due diligence. We searched for it, but we just couldn't find any sign. And then all of a sudden, there it was. <laughs> so and it was in full velvet too. That was that was oh, really cool. cool. I've never. That was one of my goals this year is I wanted to kill a deer in velvet. And so that was cool. I mean, he was just a little tiny spike, but it was a coos deer. It's, it's a coos deer. You know, it's funny. All those years I lived in Arizona, I never hunted. And we would go down to an area called Yuma down in the, the southwest corner. And I can't tell you the number of coos deer I saw down there. Really? Everywhere. But I guarantee you if I went down there now with my crossbow, I wouldn't see squat. <laughs> oh, no. They're, they're, they're a spooky animal. They're... They're always aware. They, they well, I think the only thing hunting them is mountain lions, so they yeah. got to be, yeah, you know, pretty pretty quick on the draw. Yeah, there's coyotes out there too, ain't there? Yeah, coyotes. Yes. And that's what Stephen said. He said that they're the wariest deer that you'll ever hunt. And I was like, why? And he said, because they're being hunted 365 days a year by those mountain lions. Mountain <laughs> it's kind of all on edge. <laughs> yeah, so. they're hyper, hyper vigilant. So you hunted Arizona, successfully got the coos deer. I'm going to... I know I'm going to get feedback from somebody that I'm saying it wrong, and they want it said coos, cows. No, it's yeah, pronounced but, coos. It depends on who you ask. Out there, right. though, because, well, on the one page we see, they post coos day Tuesday, and you can't say cows day, towels day, so it's got to be coos deer, right? Coos, that's, uh, that's how I was always told to pronounce it. Right. I thought it was cows when I was a couple years ago, but then I figured I should learn probably. The great debate. Send all hate mail to Jason. There you uh, go. Outdoor <laughs> podcast. So from there, you went to Wyoming. Yes. Yep. Which that's a state I'm dying to hunt. I drew tags there two years ago and fell and hurt my leg and couldn't go. Yeah, it is. And I just hear nothing but good things about that state. Wyoming is my favorite place in the world. I would, if I had, well, I mean, there's, it's a place that I would move in a heartbeat. There's just, it's so rich in wildlife and every, the landscape is beautiful. And what, uh, what did you hunt there? Mule deer. Mule deer. Yep. Successful? Uh, this fall, yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. We had a we had a one of the most incredible successful. It was a successful hunt that we had, but we but didn't kill anything. It didn't wind up the way we wanted it to. But we, um, uh, what did we do? That morning we went out glass and and he spotted a couple bucks. My dad did up on the big hillside. And there was four four bucks together. They were still in their bachelor groups at that point, and all in velvet still. So that was that was another thing I wanted to do was kill a. Velvet Mealy. Velvet Mealy, okay. And uh, sure enough, he spotted one nice buck. And there was three other bucks with it that, I mean, lured. 
very respectable deer, but I wanted to shoot the biggest for some reason. And uh, so we got our guide, and we pulled off this incredible 850-yard stop across this open field, big meadow. And you're doing this um, all in this chair? Yep, all in my chair. Across the mountainside. So this is not like... So, uh, you know, two or three able-bodied guys going 850 yards and just crossing some scree and, no. and coming out. This is, this is no, a production. Yeah, I was. This is I two had hours to dodge rocks. And, oh, I was dodging course. rocks. I was just trying to find the, the best routes possible, and they were helping. They were moving the rocks for me. I mean, we wanted to make as little noise as possible. And this chair, it's it's not quiet. No. But no. we had we had a good stiff wind, and it was in our face. So we had a good wind for stalk, and we didn't think they would hear us. And, uh. We pulled off the stop. We got to the point where we thought we would be able to get a shot. And at this point, the point where we thought they were, we were 40 yards from them. But we couldn't see them. They were bedded on the other side of a little hill. So we backed out, and we came back around the top of them. And uh, we came over top of them. They were bedded under us. And uh, we're creeping towards the edge of this little, I, I can't call it a cliff, but no, it's a little rocky outcropping on the side of this mountainside. Uh-huh. Um, and the mountainside's kind of a, well, they call it the Butte Meadow. There's a big pond at the bottom, then it goes up, and then it kind of, there's a plateau, and then it's, uh, this is real close to Devil's Tower. Okay. Um, and so there's these big buttes on this ranch that we hunt out there. And so it's basically like a plateau going up the Butte. And then it's just it was a rocky outcropping, I guess. You could yeah, call and it. then we came to this rocky outcropping that's on the face of it, and it has some some juniper trees. And, and uh, we're getting up closer to this tree, and we're thirty yards from this tree, and our guide's telling me he's like he's bedded right under that tree. I'm like I can't see him. Huh. I gotta get closer. And this was all with crossbow. You're not yep. using a rifle, right? Yeah. yeah. And he's like he's right there, right there. I'm like I I can't see him. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm blind. And, uh, and sure enough, I'm creeping closer and closer and uh the big uh two by two stands up and this two by two he's probably close to 30 inches wide wow yeah he was pretty wide it was really wide two by two but that's not the buck we were after and sure enough as soon as he stood up i seen him and then the buck we were after i seen him turn his head and his antler moved and i was like oh so you mean to tell me that stick that i've been looking at for the last five minutes is an antler is it <laughs> yep so he moved and he stood up and he was 25 yards away, perfectly broadside. And I was like, "Okay, this is gonna happen." We just pulled off a stock. We're gonna, I'm gonna kill this giant mule deer, and he's in full velvet. This is like my dream right here. It's gonna happen. Be a two for two at velvet. Yeah, and, and I mean uh, to come over top of four bedded mature mule deer bucks in a track chair with three guys and and he's like, <sighs> "Oh man!" And the rangefinder for some reason said 34 yards. Four times. So I'm like, all right, I got to shoot him for 34 yards. So we set my sight tape. I set it on 32 and a half, but I know how to compensate. I didn't, I don't want to take the time to fully set my tape. So I was like, all right, I'll hold an inch and a half high. So I, I held right above his heart, let it fly. I'm like, all right, he's going to die. That, that deer's dead. As we watched him run 500 yards across. And then 1,000 yards, and then, and then he disappeared. Oh, that's not good. So what happened? Was it a shot over his back? No, it was a high shot above his lungs. No man's land. I mean, it wasn't fatal, but I, the rangefinder said 34 yards. And he oh, turned so you out did he was, hit him. Yeah, yeah he just, turned out he was uh, only 
He was only 25 yards, and I saw him at 34. Oh, okay. Yeah. My instinct inside, like, I knew he was 25 yards. I knew the tree he was under was 25 yards. But when the range finder said 34, I instantly threw my numbers out the window, and I was like, I'm not going to... I'm not going to beat a range finder. Right. Normally, I'll range find, but this time we let our guide range find for us. And we checked our range finders, but against each other before we went out. And for some reason, it just, I don't know if it was picking up something, you know, if his range finder was picking up something that was down there. Because it was in the shadows and whatnot. I mean, it might have It wasn't a good spot to range deer. And, and, I mean, everything was perfect until that moment. And then, but luckily we know the deer lived. It recovered. I mean, um. Yeah, he was normally those he was using a G five dead meat, and normally they're instantly dead meat when we shoot something with that. But yeah, but it. it I but mean, you got to hit them where no matter what you're using, you got to hit them where you're supposed to. Yeah, to hit them in the vitals. I mean, it, and that's what it comes down to. I didn't hit him in the vitals, and I didn't put a fatal shot on him. He's alive, and I mean, I hate I hate wounding an animal. Like for the next two days, I wouldn't kill another buck. I I had opportunities on other mule deer, but I I couldn't bring myself to do it, knowing knowing that I already. Drew blood on that one. Yeah, you feel bad. Yeah. So, well, so you you got the opportunity on the mule deer in Wyoming, just didn't work out the way you'd hoped to, but right. you still got the stalk. That that's all. That's all to me. The fun part of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we got the. It's that's a memory that I'll never forget. I mean. Exactly. Most of our, I would say, a lot of our best hunts don't end in a kill. No, and they always turn out epic. Like, they're, they're always something that, even inside ourselves, we think, part of us thinks that we can't do something, and then we prove to ourselves that we can. This spring, we uh, we started out the year going to the first ASA shoot of the year, and then we went from there to Texas, to West Texas, to Marfa, Texas, and uh, we hunted this Cibolo Creek Ranch. Uh-huh. And uh, for bison, they have a free-ranging herd of bison there that have been there for, I don't know, 100 years or however long they've been there but and uh you know there's no high fence or anything it's all low fence and you know just cattle fences and stuff and there's this and a they, fence isn't going to stop them bison no anyways. we saw that we saw them go through we saw them tear down 125 yards of, of fence no problem who was the outfitter for that that we just went uh a friend of ours that we met through facebook invited okay. us there and so brian severin uh, yeah brian severin and uh so just so, yeah, a lot of people don't realize there's some free-range herds of, of buffalo in Texas. Yep. Uh-huh. And there's also some south of the border in, in Mexico. What did, did you get a cow or a bull? A bull. I actually got a bull. And Big bull. I mean, <laughs> the funny thing about Texas is they're not indigenous there, right? So you don't have to have a tag? No, I think they are indigenous, but they're not. They're not a game. They're not a game species, and so you don't have to. Apply for it. And Texas is weird. I mean, everything about Texas is different than any place else in the yeah. world, I think. So. I just moved back from living there for 14 years, and they would be considered an exotic. Right. So yeah. you can get one of those seven-day exotic licenses yep. for like 50 bucks. Yep. Yeah. Let you hunt pigs, you know. Even the crazy thing is elk are not considered yeah. a native species. So, right. And yeah. there's a lot of elk in Texas. Yeah, they have a good good population. Real good elk. We've seen probably 10 bulls while we were there. All right, so as we look around at the different areas you've been covering, whether it be Arizona, Wyoming, Michigan, you, you've hunted in so many different areas. One of the things we looked at is we talked a little bit about your crossbow being from Gearhead and just how unique it is. But the other thing is you guys use some Michigan equipment, which is G5, which is out of Memphis, Memphis, Michigan. 
and G5 started off just broadheads, didn't they? Yeah, I think the Montec. Uh, yep, they started off with the Montec, and uh, then they progressed from there. And I mean, now they have. Well, actually, they started off in the medical, uh, surgical medical cutting equipment, I believe. They make sharp things, no yeah. matter what. Yeah, they make okay. really sharp. That's that's their yeah. profession is making sharp is things. Is that what it started off as, like a scalpel or yeah. whatever? You know. Uh huh. Okay. They got into broadheads because I know the, the is it the two sons, two there's, or three sons. There's Matt and Nate Grace, and then there's uh, Lou Grace. I'm sorry, I was drawing a metal blank. Yeah, Lou Grace. Lose the dad, right? Yeah. Lose the dad, right? Oh, they're incredible people, super nice people, and uh, and now they've bought Prime Bows. Actually, I think they started Prime Bows. Oh, did they start it? Yeah, okay. they started Prime Bows. Um, because Lou <clears throat> is the kind of guy that if He's not going to do something unless he can think thinks he can do it better than someone else does. So he was pretty sure they could build <clears throat> the best bows, one of the best bows out there. And, and I mean, obviously they are incredible bows. And uh, since I don't get to bow hunt very much, I had a nice prime bow, but Austin gave it away to someone. Um, yeah, my brother uh, actually. Oh yeah, Austin. Jason's got that one. But uh, Austin, sorry to get off track, but Austin, since he's graduated from high school. His, besides his family, has given away at least nine archery setups to people that he doesn't know or they had a story that touched his heart and because archery means so much to him. That's but, awesome. <coughs> That's awesome that you've got the ability and the 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 connections to, to put that from from here's a bow and a setup to here's a person that could use it in whatever form or fashion that well, is. Well, most of the time the way it happens is he sees a Facebook post, uh, someone's bow got stolen or someone, somebody. Kid wants to get an archery. Some something. kid wants to get an archery or something, and then we're like, well, too bad you don't have anything for him. And he's like, yeah, we do, Dad. We have your bow. So yeah. he's, <laughs> he's given my bow away to several people. He's given, he bought me a brand-new dart. But I gave year. him those bows in the first place. He bought me a brand-new dart, and then it wasn't six months later, and he gave that to someone whose bow got stolen, and he wanted to shoot with his son, and then um, – he uh, actually, and then our relationship with G5 kind of began several years ago. Lost well, in a bed shooting G5 broadheads, and then we went on a uh, antelope hunt out west with a an organization called Outdoor Adventures for the Physically Challenged. Challenge. They're out of Wisconsin. We met them at the Deer and Turkey Spectacular in Wisconsin on one of our random road trips. Shh, and that's T Rex. You hear Trex. That's Austin's new buddy, and uh, six-month-old blue nose pit. So we went to the deer and turkey spectacular out there. We met these people, and they invited Austin out antelope hunting, and to uh, Wyoming, to or? Wyoming. Okay, and uh, they're a foundation that that helps disabled people go out there, and they really they really liked Austin, and so they uh, called us up. We had forgotten about it. They called us up several months later and said, "You're all set to come out to Wyoming," you know, and we're like, "Oh no!" And it was a rifle hunt. It and, wasn't. It was more like a oh yeah. Or well, it was a oh yeah, but then it was an oh no because Austin's. It was a rifle hunt, and Austin's a bow hunter. He's kind of a diehard bow hunter, and so we're like, well, thank you, but we think we might want to decline. And they jumped through hoops, set it up so Austin could hunt with a bow, bow right? Yep. His crossbow. So I could use my crossbow. And uh, and so, well, a couple of weeks before we get out there. We find out that most of their hunting's done because of you know they take physically challenged people. So most of their hunting's done from they got special blinds built on trucks and they hunt irrigation pivots where the antelope or the mule deer come out to play. Which there's nothing and, against that. It's 
it's obviously to give disabled people the best opportunity possible for on of a lifetime. But Austin likes to challenge himself as much as possible. So I made a Facebook post, and I asked what was the best antelope decoy out there, thinking maybe we could try to hunt him with an antelope decoy. And uh, someone tagged Ultimate Predator decoys, and uh, so we got a hold of them. They sent us a decoy. <laughs> and Lance Hallam got a hold of us, and then he, I talked to him on the phone a little bit and told him our situation, and he sent us these uh, Ultimate Predator decoys, these antelope decoys. And they just they fold down in these neat little packages, and boom, they pop up, and you strap them on your bow. They're made for bow hunting. And so they have an opening in the middle where you can shoot through them. And so when we got out to Wyoming, we started talking to the guys, and the guy that we were hunting with, Ray, we are like, you know, if it doesn't work out with these irrigation pivots, maybe we could try these decoys. Maybe we can stalk. And stalk. And he goes, well... Why don't we try that first? And Austin was on cloud nine. That, that's because, that's I mean, the way I wanted to do it. I had no desire. So to does that it. decoy fit to the front of your crossbow? We, yeah, it's got Velcro and you can strap it on there. It's made for a vertical bow, but it fits on a crossbow pretty well. Okay. Weird. On the side of my chair, right on the front, yeah, on the front of my chair actually, and then one on the front of the crossbow. And uh, we we went out the next morning, and the very first field that we came to. Well, not the first field we came to. The first alfalfa field we came to, we looked out there, and there was an antelope out there, and we had no idea what were we were going to do. So these antelope were 280 yards away when we first glassed them. And uh, we, it was Austin, um, Austin's mom, my wife, there was Ray, Keith. and Keith Cadet. Cad- I don't know how to say his last name. Keith, a guy who, he was another cameraman who was there with the, with the foundation. And uh, so we strapped on these decoys, and we took off, Austin and I did. And for about the first 100 yards, there were some bales, round bales scattered, and we were able to jump from cover to cover, or from bale to bale for cover. And then we get to the last one, and we don't know what to do, so we just start easing out. And these antelope are still in the field. This buck in his harem, and he's a buck in nine does, or eight does. He's got to be watching you. Oh, he is. They're they're watching us the whole time. And then, so we just keep going. And, and we're creeping we, along and creeping along. And, and we keep getting closer and closer. And, we're like, and you've got this antelope decoy right now on the front of your yep. tra- on this. Yep, on the front of my chair. It's, it's, so it's definitely noisy. Yeah, yeah, definitely noisy. And, but, I mean, that time, but we're too, going we had a, super slow. And we had a good wind in our face. I mean, okay. So it wasn't, I mean, that's the big part about wanting is having the right wind and covering sound. And wind covers sound. And obviously, so they didn't smell us either. But... But he, uh, we were creeping along, and sure enough, we... Holy smokes. I mean, you're literally right on top of... I'm look, For the listeners, I'm looking at a picture, and 15 yards? No, no it's no, further it's, than that. It's way further than that. That's actually closer to 60 yards. No, it's but... further than that, too. Yeah. Yeah, that picture's a little well, further. Well, that picture... Well, that one might be 60 yards, yeah. To the listeners, that picture might make it, makes it look like you might be standing yep. right there with it them. It does. They actually bedded down five times... While we were stalking them twice within 35 yards. At one point, Austin had his bow leveled on the buck. The buck was bedded um, facing us with his body, you know, perpendicular to us. And we were expecting him to stand up and stretch, and Austin was going to hopefully Smoke drill him right there. Shot. He stood up, turned, and walked straight away and never gave us a second. But he always stayed behind his does. He always let his does stay in between us and him. And, so uh, he was he was, uh, he was on to the game. Yeah. Okay. And uh, – so we kept going, and at one point, we'd been on the stalk so long, I'm on, and I'm on my knees next to Austin the whole time, and, uh, you know, we're just sneaking along, and I, I wound up having to take a leak, so I had to take a leak right there between my legs. <laughs> Behind the decoy. Behind the decoy, and uh, the 
you can see here in the photo that they're getting close to that sagebrush and all that stuff and getting out of the field. And at that point, we're like, what do you want to do? Austin's like, let's go. And so we went as fast as we could towards them. I mean, my chair doesn't go very fast, but I went as fast as I could. And luckily, they stayed there, and they were getting skittish. And so we got within 54 it was yards. 54 yards broadside. Ranged it at 54 yards. I had him in my scope, and I was getting ready to shoot. And at that point, he took a few more steps, and he started walking away. I was like, oh, crap. That's not good. Going the wrong direction. Yep. And he took a few steps back, turned broadside, getting stopped for another second. And I was like, he's got to be 60 yards. So I shot him for 60 yards. And I watched my Luminot flying. Oh, it was, it was a, like, it, it looked like it was slow motion through my scope. And I watched this arrow just disappear into his heart. Very nice. And it just disappeared into his heart. And I was like, I think I already shot him dead. So take a step back. You've whacked this antelope. What was the target, or what was the decoy? Ultimate Predator decoy. From uh, Ultimate Predator gear, they're from Colorado. Uh, they make all kinds of Colorado Springs, right? Yeah, Colorado Springs. We have got to look those up because man, talk about a great promo oh, for yeah. them. Oh yeah, it was actually yeah. the first antelope ever the, killed with one of their decoys. Right. I'll see if I get a. If you can put the again, I'm going to just reference your chair as a tank. If you can put the decoy on the front of this tank and the antelope don't freak out, yeah, that means that decoy is darn good. It works. See, you can see the decoy there. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. You can see them attached to the front right here. Yep. And uh, I mean, are, with a turkey decoy, we get really close to there with using the ultimate predator turkey decoys too. We've gotten. Is it just a fan decoy? Uh, no, it's actually, no, it's actually has a. It's, like it's, a, it's a full decoy. Like it's a got, frontal shot. Yeah. Okay. It shows it shows the turkeys uh, the face and the so head. So when the turkeys looking at it, they're seeing like the head and the fan yep. and yep. so it looks like a turkey that's already all pumped up yep. and But the antelope one actually I guess us. I'm going to buy an ultimate predator uh, decoys, a turkey they're, one. They're amazing. They are one of my favorite things on with well, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. We got G5 right. we were talking about, so yep. we got prime so we're, bows. We're gonna come back to G five right now actually, because the antelope I shot how we got connected with G5 is I shot it with a G5 broadhead. A Montec or what you were using? Like a G5 the, Havoc. Havoc. And they Havoc, had, okay. And they had and a wreak Havoc contest. Oh, okay. And for to win the contest, they took you to the ATA with them and all that kind of stuff. So I entered my antelope and my, well, my picture with my antelope into the wreak Havoc contest, and, and I won. So that's how we... Uh, we went to the ATA show with G5 two years ago, 2016. It would have been three. It would have, it was our, we went to three ATAs. It was our first one. So it would have been three years, four years ago this January. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 And since then, so if it's been three, four years, G5's done a lot of stuff in those, in these last three, four years. You know, new broadheads, a uh, crossbow line of broadheads. Uh, yep. The, the expandables they moved into making some of those the trekking or t- uh they had they have a dead meat now yeah. and they have the havoc and the, the havoc is just my favorite broadhead ever because when it it's something it opens and it leaves a hole like it's the entrance is as big as the exit so you shoot expandable when yep. you're hunting something yes sir okay yeah see i like fixed i, I love that montec broadhead yeah i killed a mule deer doe um, with my ultimate predator de- decoy and a pink Montec and a pink Montec, a pink Montec. <laughs> with my twenty five dollar uh, garage sale recurve, garage sale recurve, 
Austin and I were in the blind and or not the blind, we were tucked in underneath this uh, scrub oak tree in Wyoming, and uh, it was our last night. And Austin was trying to kill a buck, and that he was insane. I'm, if you ever get a chance to hunt northeast Wyoming, you need to. It's just it's, it's the most gorgeous. incredible place. Gorgeous, so many deer. Anyways, the numbers out there is insane. These does were crossing behind us all day long, all night long. And finally, it was the last three minutes of daylight yeah. on our last night there, and I turned around. I'm sitting there in the blind, facing out in front of us, because obviously I, I don't move much when we're in the blind. I sit pretty stationary. And I look over to my right, and I see my dad, and he's turned around, and he starts drawing back his recurve. I'm like, what are you doing? And then the next thing you know, I hear, thump. <laughs> It was a doe you took? Yeah, it was a doe. My first mule deer myself. Uh, and I've still never killed a mule deer. So that's yeah. one species he has that I don't. Yeah, but that was the only that. the second state I've ever hunted. The only second time I've ever hunted out of state. How many states have you hunted now? Twelve. Twelve states. Wow. Shadow archery tournaments in, I don't know, eight or nine, ten states. Yeah. Speaking of tournaments, you know, jumping from G5 here in a minute, to speaking of tournaments, for your tournament career – which you won a big one last year. Yes, but sir. for your tournament career, it all started right here at the Mid-Thumb uh, Bowman's Club. It did. This is where you shot your first tournament. Yep. Right. His a- first sanctioned tournament of any sort, it was IBO qualifier. We showed up here just to come shoot it, not realizing that it was a qualifier, just coming for the 3D shoot. And we ran into a buddy of mine that uh, has been friends of ours for quite a long time, Andy Monel. And he was here, and he was here to shoot it because it was a qualifier. And then we started talking to him, and he started talking about that he was going to go to the IBO World Championship, which if you qualified, then you got a berth to go there. And that was in Ellicottville, New York. Yep, Ellicottville. And, uh, Ellicottville. Ellicottville, <laughs> Ellicott, Ellicott, however you say it, Ville, New York. And so we made a road trip with Andy. Oh, my word, we had so much fun on that trip. But Austin wound up shooting. And in the IBO, he shot in the physically challenged bow hunter class because that's the only class that he's really allowed to shoot in. They call it physically challenged? Yep. Yes. Okay. And it's open to anybody with with uh, any physical any challenge? Any disability, really. Yeah. Any yeah. form. And, uh, and so it's it's kind of a wide open class. It's 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 a lot of fun, and it's, it's available for, like you said, anybody, regardless of what their disability is. But you're shooting against people with different – Different skill sets, different equipment. I mean, different someone might be using really. a, a regular I mean, bow. Someone might be using a crossbow. And, and so there's not, you know, there's a lot of disparity there between them. And so anyways, Austin shot that, and he wound up uh, losing by one arrow. Yep. Oh, jeez. And that was yeah. my first ever, that was my first competition shoot. That Here. Ever, no, that was. That was the, in that that was New, New York. York. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Here he just shot the qualifier, and there wasn't anybody that there was really shooting else against shooting against. Here, so I mean, but okay. There, so you, by default, you you made it right through. Okay, uh-huh. a qualifier, and then so we went to Ellicottville, and I shot, and I finished with a three oh one, which in IBO you get. There's a ten ring, and then there's an eleven ring in the middle of the ten ring, and it's it's pretty much it's consistent on every target. There's an eleven ring in the center of the ten ring. They're all the same, but they're different sizes. So I shot I shot a three oh one, and I ended up taking second. And that was my first ever major competition shoot. So I was I was impressed with myself, actually, to say the sure. least, after that one. And I was shooting. I had a horrible setup for competition. I was shooting as slow as possible. I had 550 grain hunting arrows I was shooting, and my crossbow was slow. And, and these guys are all shooting these, 
you know, ultra light. You Some know. of them were, yeah. But yeah. well, a lot of guys were shooting vertical bows that year. Okay. And, and so, so. But I mean, they, they they were all competitors. Yeah, they, they were accomplished they knew what shooters. They were doing. They, it was a whole big learning game. It was a different ball game for me, yeah. But you moved on. You you might have done the I, IBO here, but yep. you actually switched over to what's called the ASA, right? Well, yeah. Before I did that, the next year in IBO, I actually I won the national championship and the world championship in the physically challenged class. Okay. And then that's where I it came to the point where I I want to do something different. Like I I want to challenge myself more. I felt like I accomplished my goals in that. I accomplished what I was trying to do in the IBO. I wanted to win. So you hit those goals yeah. and said, okay, what's what's my next challenge? Yep. And then my dad messaged the ASA. Yep, and I mess- I sent a message off to the ASA, and then I guess it was Mike Tyrell or, or someone from the ASA. They messaged us back right away, and I explained, you know, in my first message, I explained the situation, and they said, absolutely, Austin can come shoot and compete in the ASA. So what was it, a week later? We were on our way to London, Kentucky. I, I, yeah, I mean, it, London, Kentucky was my first ever. ASA so it was real right fast. Yeah, yeah. We we're not very good at planning things. If, <laughs> if something's gonna happen, it's it's kind of it's nothing really happens with the real plan. So there, so there's no big set out annual plan of no. we want to be here, here, and here. No. I mean, we do that, but it's never happened that way. <laughs> no. So it doesn't really matter what we plan. So uh, we headed off to London, Kentucky, and and I mean, so Austin went from IBO, which was the course was shorter. But it was all unknown. You had to judge all your targets. And okay. so, and then when he went to ASA, the crossbow class in the ASA is all known. So you get to use a range finder, and so you know the distances to your target. So obviously, okay. Austin was going to go. Everybody. He was going to go down there and smoke everyone because he's Austin and he's you know a great shooter. Well, that was a rude awakening. <laughs> we got there, and this is this is kind of a funny story. Well, we don't have to tell this story. Yeah, though. we do. Not really. We got up to my first target. I'm like, oh, all right. It was tucked back in the woods. Kind of hard to see, but I thought I could do it. And we let it fly, but not on purpose. (laughs) 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 We're coming down on the target. I'm like, down, 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 down. And my crossbow just goes off. (laughs) Arrow goes flying? Yeah, Yeah. probably three feet over the back. Three feet over the back. I got got a zero on my first target. Every Every day, ASA. Yeah, because there is no mulligans. No, 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 and he wound up shooting forty-eight down. Yeah, forty-eight down. It was it was pretty awful. I was second to last. Scoring in the ASA is if you miss a target, obviously it's a zero. If you hit the target's body anywhere outside of the rings, then it's a five. If you hit inside the big ring, that's eight. Eight, and then it's got uh, a small ring, smaller ring in the middle, it's which five is five inches across, I believe. Which I guess five inches across. I don't think it's always that big, but. Okay, I guess it is. And then, and that's a 10, and then there's two smaller rings. There's an upper one and a lower one, and those are 12 rings. So there's a I lot mean, of strategy it's, in ASA because you got to, well, there was, but now you got to shoot for a 12 every time because. It's easy to stay inside the 10 ring because it's it's a bigger target. But the challenge is because you're shooting for the 12s, and the 12s on the line, it meets up with an 8. So if you miss oh, the 12 out five. the bottom, yeah, or a 5. So if you miss out the bottom or the top of the 12, you're an 8 or a 5. I mean, it's... it's so you vary just a little bit. Right. Yeah. You're going to get... So when you're shooting these tournaments... Now, anybody who wants to go out and watch the videos on YouTube that you got, when you're shooting, the the crossbow is put into the 
basically where the seat where Austin is sitting. Yep. Right. He doesn't really have a shoulder on his right side, so we can't yeah. put it up against his shoulder. Right. So we set it next to. My actually broken, so. So it just sits there. Yeah. And there's no real bracing. It's not holding it up. It's really just no, it's, sitting. No, it there. just kind of no. sits there wobbling. It's. Yeah. And then you kneel next to him. Yeah. And as we said earlier in the show, you you got your head at 90 degree angle. You're telling him move it right, move it left, up, yep. down. Hair trigger, so you don't put your finger anywhere near the trigger on the crossbow. Yep. And then you're trying to tell them how to get it aimed at these little 12 circles. Yep. With the idea that the number one person in that tournament is probably going to get hit 12 all the way along. Most of the time, yeah. Because you know the distance to the target. Yep. So you know that this thing is at 30 yards, 35 yards, yep. 40 yards. Yep. But that's really of no relevance. All you want to know is, I got to hit that 12. Right. Preferably the top 12, because if I miss... I want the eight, not the five. Well, no, 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 you can shoot a five out the top too. See, the top, the upper twelve. If you shoot high, then you'll shoot a five or an eight. Well, I mean, it's same it's, thing with the lower. I there's mean, a, there's a little bit of room outside the twelve. Usually, you're gonna hit an eight first. I mean, it's always right. gonna be an eight first before it's a five. But right. sometimes, so sometimes. everybody's whacking these targets at the twelves and the eights, and maybe a five here. But if you get a five, you're probably gonna be in the middle of the pack. If, yeah, the scoring. Yeah. If you yeah. get a five, you're drop down, way down. This last year. Uh, the crossbow class, because and this, if anybody's listening that shoots a crossbow, especially either a a, um, a gearhead, obviously, or a mission crossbow by Matthews, either one of those companies have a great contingency program. If you win an ASA national tournament, pro-am tournament, with either a gearhead crossbow or that other crossbow <laughs> mission, right. um, the contingency is $5,000 to win, $2,000 for second wow. place, and $1,000 for third. So, And you don't have to be a shooter under contract by either one of those. So. Yeah, that's not money that – that's not tied to the tournament itself. That's, no. That's for placing in the tournament yep. using their product. Yes. Right. And it doesn't matter. You you don't have to be – now, you're shooting gearhead. Yep. So, you know, you go into these tournaments and gearhead might come – that doesn't – that's – they'll do those contingencies at some of the other tournaments as well where you show up and all of a sudden they'll say, if you're shooting these arrows, there's a – yeah. Three hundred dollars. Yeah, there's arrow. Yeah. They, they do it one, for arrows and strings, and I mean, there's there's contingency for just about every kind of thing. And that's yeah. side money, as I call yeah. it. That's yep. that's something that shows up regardless of what you do on the. Now, obviously, the better you do on the course, right? The better the contingencies are to you, yep. right? And if you, I think usually if it's under four or five, I've seen some that with the arrows that you have like five contingency slots. Down to like fifty bucks, you know, for yep. the fifth place, yeah. yep. which, you know, it's, that's dinner. I mean, right. but pro shooters, on like, they have a set contract, and that's they get their money from their contract, and then winning is how they actually make their living. Yeah, yeah. The cool. top pro shooter, well, the top pro shooter is making, He's making well over, well over, a million dollars a year wow. to shoot bows and hunt with the particular bow that he hunts with. And, I mean, it's obviously it's marketing money, and, and there there must be return on investment yeah, there because he's, he's doing it. It's dividends but, for the company. But, uh, as far as archery, tournament archery, I just want to throw this out there real quick. Personally, and we grew up, my, my oldest son, see, I'm not just Austin's dad. I have two other kids. My oldest son, Jason, who was an incredible athlete, great baseball player, and then my daughter who is just you know she's just my daughter she's you know you yeah. gotta love your daughter the daughters are something daughters special, are different you know and, for the dad and uh but 
we spent a lot of time playing tournament baseball and travel ball and all that stuff. And I wish that we would have put our efforts into archery as a family because right. archery is a sport, a competitive archery, tournament archery, 3D archery, indoor, whatever it is, that no matter who you are, you can compete in it. And you have a chance to compete at the highest level if you want to. I mean, it's all how how far you're driven. It's not necessarily based on your physical abilities because right. archery is more of a mental game than a physical game. And and so, but it's just something that everybody, no matter who you are, if you're out there and listening, and you got a family, and you're wondering what you're going to do next weekend, cool, get some bows and take them to the archery club and shoot together because you get to do everything together. We shoot with a family, um, the Great House family, and and there's what three generations that shoot every week in the national. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, the grandfather, <coughs> son, and, and daughters, and uh, they shoot at a very high level, and and it's just. It's just awesome to see someone who's in their 70s out there shooting or someone who's seven like out there shooting. Grandparents, parents, and kids. Uh-huh. You know, three generations out there. Easily. And I, I never knew this, and it was really – it was because of watching you and then doing this podcast, I talked to somebody you know, which is Matt Miller. Yep. And in talking with Matt, kind of started to get an idea of going, wow, I never realized – because I wanted to just come and shoot 3D. Just, I, yeah. I didn't care if I hit it in the rear end or hit it in a target. I just wanted to shoot 3D. Right. And then I started listening to you guys and talking with Matt Miller and stuff like that. I'm going, wow, there's actually some money behind some of oh, this yeah. stuff. And now, is. you know, I'd have to shoot far more arrows a year than what I shoot now. You know, the six arrows a year I shoot now doesn't qualify me for, for bumpkiss. But yeah, for no, the, most people don't realize. Archers, it's a it's a full-time job. Yes. And, I mean, Crossbows are obviously pretty new in the tournament archery venue, especially in the um, and the money making end of it because the contingency money just just went you know uh, through the roof last year. I mean, like you said, the two big ones are Gearhead and the other one, which will keep the name out. Well, we can say Mission. I mission. mean, Matthews. Um, absolutely, we love Gearhead, but we shot against the people from Matthews all year long. We shot against. Uh, their pro staff manager Derek Phillips and just they're they're a first class operation from the top all the way down the bottom. So so uh, if as much so as dis- I as much as I want to pick on Matthew shooters, I I can't. <laughs> yeah, um, from the top to the bottom. I mean, if if you don't want to shoot a gearhead, then I guess you could probably shoot a Matthews and do all right and be uh, good. Yeah, but uh, but it's yeah they're they're a great company too. But if it, I would just love to see people out there shooting, and I'm sure that the more people shoot and the more brands that people shoot, then other companies will jump on the contingency too because it's a growing part of archery. It's a growing you know. demographic. Have yeah. you shot at the Detroit Archery Club? No. no. Um, I, I, again, I didn't know about that, and you look at the history of that, and it's the history of archery. That club was started in part by Fred Bear and uh, Art Young and, and Pope. Oh, Pope nice. Is. The, the, right. Those were three, three of the guys that were the original starters of the Detroit Archery Club. And I'm like, that's Michigan. That's uh-huh. our history. That's yeah. our backyard. Yep. Yeah. That all this was, you know, going on in. And I saw an article recently that Iowa, in place of some PE, was going to put outdoor education. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. I think that they're going to, and that's and incredible because. I said, what a great idea. I sent the article to a friend of mine who's on the school board at Crosslex. I said, this needs to be in the curriculum, you know, not that dodgeball and all that's not important. Right. But 
this is a hunting community. When I when I went to school, the opening day of deer season and the opening day of pheasant season, there was no school because right. enough kids never showed up. That's right. how it should be. And so why is this not part of our curriculum? Why is this removed? Why are these kids being removed from the aspect of, and not that we want them to all go out and hunt. It would be great if they did. But our, you could spend your whole life hunting 3D targets right. and have a great time and be a proponent yeah. of archery. There's a, there's a lot of people that, that shoot archery that don't hunt, don't have the desire to hunt, and that's great. But, I mean, if you have the desire to hunt, by all means, find yeah. someone to take you hunting. If if you're out there and you know a kid that wants to hunt and you're not taking them, then you're kind of doing a disservice to all hunting, all yeah, of hunting. I mean, yeah. that's been a big push by, I think, the National Wild Turkey Federation and a num- uh, I, I think Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. A number of them have been – this has been like the year of mentorship. Get people out there and mentor them. Right. And, you know, I was talking with Austin earlier about this, was there's so much land that, you know, in Michigan for a, a beet field, a, a corn field, a soybean field, it's a food plot. Uh-huh. You got more deer than you can shake a stick at. If you have a problem as a farmer and you're listening to this and you've got issues, let some kids come on and shoot some does. Let them come on and shoot some bucks. They're not going to hurt your property. They're not going to trash everything. Be be with them. Go out there and enjoy the aspect that you're letting these kids partake in. Yes, they're going to harvest a deer. Yes, something's going to die. That's that you know, and that's not the the great part. The part is that kid's going to sit down with his parents at dinner one time and go, "This dinner I provided for you guys. This this is what I did. You know, this pure organic sustainable yeah. meat that you know. I mean." Everybody's talking about organic. Have you ever looked at what an organic burger or steak costs in the market? And we got it on the hoof all around here. Yeah. Actually, we got too many of it. Yeah. And even if you don't have access to private land, Michigan, I mean, we have public. We have so much public land, and we have incredible public land. And I don't know all these people that say they don't have a place to hunt. I hunt public land, and I hunt public land almost exclusively here in Michigan. And not exclusively, but and uh, I literally. In the spot that I hunt, which is within two hours of Detroit, is almost a 2,000-acre track. I've seen one person in the woods more than 150 yards from the road in the six years that I've hunted that. Yeah. And most of the time, there's nobody hunting. I can have four or 500 acres to myself any given day of the week. And opening weekend of firearm season. Opening day of firearm season last year, I had at least 360 acres of public land to myself with not another soul not on another it. person. And it's there. It's Everybody should use it. That's what we're – that's – And, again, I, like I said, I spent the last 14 years in Texas. And you know what Texas doesn't have? Public Any land. public, public land. land. Right. They have a little bit of land that's managed by the Texas Parks and Wildlife, but you have to put in for drawings every year. So it is, quote, unquote, public land, but it's not – public accessible unless you're drawn to go right. hunt right and they tell you you can't go out there and you know you might draw austin a tag for a, a whitetail well here comes a javelina here comes a mule deer here comes uh-huh. you can't shoot any of that stuff you can only shoot that whitetail that comes along or hogs right they'll let you right. they'll let you whack hogs all day right long. um so that coming back to michigan i looked at this and i happen to be driving across 46 which is just a main road here in michigan for people and you get a little ways down, and there's a beautiful river, and right there's a parking spot yep. to access public land to go in there and hunt. We live four miles from there. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, uh, we hunt all that land there. That's some of the land that I'm talking about. Um, that, okay. That's so underutilized. And I'm not going to – I'll tell people what I've seen out there. I mean, I, I'm not going to claim it as my spot. 
but in my little spot that I have out there. There's big deer in there. I had, I didn't have any big deer, but I had four two-and-a-half-year-old eight points and probably 20 other little bucks on camera in one spot. And it's for people to say that there's no and there's, deer and there's too much pressure. There's it's, water. It's, it's wrong. There's food. There's cover. And they're used to people they're, because yep. there's that park right there. Yep. Yeah. The smell of people doesn't yeah. spook them like a, a deer maybe in Wyoming or Colorado. Well, well actually, in Wyoming, the, the deer there are they're surprisingly docile. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't want to say they're tame, but they're, they're not. Curious. Our deer in Michigan actually are some of the tougher whitetails to hunt. Even, even these ones here, I think the ones on the farmland are probably a little easier, but once you get on the public land, they're, they're not that easy. But they're there, our, and there's yeah. a lot of them there. And if I you, would say our Michigan whitetails are as hard to hunt. I, I don't want to say as hard as a goose deer, but in my experience, it was our Michigan whitetails are just as aware and spooky as a goose deer. And somebody told me one time, jumping to another species for turkey, uh-huh. That they said of all the turkey species, the eastern turkey is the real yep. wary, oh, yeah. hard one to get. Definitely. Eastern no, or no osceolas yeah, are really hard, hard too, too. But that's only because you can only hunt them in Florida. One of the guys was telling me Alabama, Alabama or Mississippi. I can't remember where he's from, but he goes, that's like the hotbed of turkey hunting. Yep. He said, them birds are pressured hard uh-huh. from hunting. He says, yep. if you, he says, you might get a slam, but he says, we look at it, it's not real unless the bird's from Alabama, I thought he said, for the Easter. because Turkey right. hunting is. Those ones are just, it's a religion to some people. Austin's tried after tried for the Grand Slam the last two, two years. years in a row. Yep. And then the year before that, we tried for, um, well, he was going to try to kill three turkeys. And, well, no, we were going to hunt five states in 13 days, weren't we, for yeah. turkeys. And I'm sorry to hold you up, but we got to tell you this story. <laughs> oh, that's fine. So we left. Uh, we had an uh, old Durango that. I had to do a bunch of front end work too, and and had been sitting for a year, and so I did this front work, front end work, replaced ball joints and all that stuff, and everything was good to go. And uh, we kind of friend of ours in Bob, who Bob at this time was sixty five, he he had um, back issues and was on disability and whatnot, but he had some time, so we invited him to come along and be our cameraman. Uh, <laughs> lucky Bob. And when when we first asked them we had a motorhome lined up and we were going to take a motorhome on this trip and so by the time that we were getting ready to leave we wound up um stuffing bob in the back seat of our dodge durango <laughs> which dodge durangos don't have a lot of footroom to begin with so we pick bob up and he lived over in uh, montrose and we get we're heading south and we're on the road what half, half hour, hour yeah, half hour all of a sudden the durango overheats it just pegs the the thermostat you know it's like oh no and, uh, and we start smoking. Start smoking, but then it went away. It, op- it and so I thought maybe the thermostat was stuck from being sitting for a year. Sure. And uh, so we drove. We made it all the way down to Bass Pro Shops in Indiana, and we stopped there because Austin had to use the restroom. And of course, we always have to stop at a Bass Pro Shop for Cabela's every time we see right. one <laughs> because it's you know otherwise you're probably not a man. I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody. You're probably not an outdoors person. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> um, but so we go there, and then we come when we came out of there. We hopped in the Durango, and we drove, and we were going to go to the McDonald's and get something to eat. And so between Bass Pro Shops and McDonald's, which is probably three-sixteenths of a mile, if that, through the parking lot, uh, it started overheating again. And so we're like, oh, no. And we were pulling a trailer that we borrowed from Scott Hunter from Top 10%, which is if anybody's looking for any land management here in Michigan, that guy 
yep. knows how to. Scott was on the show a couple episodes ago. Yeah. yeah. Guy. Oh, my gosh. And he knows what he's talking about. Anyways, he let us use his trailer. And so we drove through the drive through at McDonald's with the trailer. And then we left there and we went to the gas station. When we got to the gas station, we realized that they shorted Bob a filet fish sandwich. So <laughs> we go back there. And so this time I didn't go through the drive through because pulling a trailer through the drive through is kind of a pain in the butt. Doing it once is one thing, twice and one time is, you know, crazy. So I parked and I went inside and I left the headlights on when I went inside. And the truck had been overheating and I shut it off. So Bob and Austin are sitting in the truck. And, <laughs> and we're sitting there talking and we're going back and forth and we're like, man, we thought this would stop smoking by now. This doesn't make sense. And sure enough, it just, the smoke's getting thicker and thicker. And we're like, the truck is, the, the ring goes off. Why are, why are we still overheating? And so I came out of McDonald's. They had the sandwich there ready for us. I was only in there for a second. And I come out. And as I'm walking out, I'm like, oh, no, the Durango's on fire. <laughs> and so and I get to the Durango. We're freaking out. They start freaking out. Bob's in the back seat. And Austin's in the front seat. And, uh. So I walk up to the Durango. I'm like, the Durango's on fire, and I pop the hood. I used to be on the fire department in Clio, and so, and most of the time, cars don't blow up like they do in the movies. And so I pop the hood, and uh, I had on my hat, my G5 hat, as a matter of fact. And I took my G5 hat off, and I started trying to beat the flames out. And uh, broadheads from G5 are awesome. The hats aren't very fire retardant. It <laughs> caught on fire and melted to nothing right away. And so plastic trucker hat on yeah. <laughs> back end's gone. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. The front was still there, but the back was totally gone. I go back to the truck and Bob's like, I can't get out, I can't get out, my door won't unlock. And so I reach over and I just kinda flicked his door lock right next to him because he was panicking and so he didn't realize that he could do that, I guess. And I grabbed my jug of lemonade. I had a jug of lemonade. I was like, what is he doing? He's about to take a drink of lemonade while I'm in a burning car. <laughs> and so I grabbed my jug of lemonade. And I went over there, and I took my jug of lemonade, and I put the fire out. I said, so anyways, we put the fire out, and we got a hotel that night. And then the next day, I went and bought a thermostat, changed the thermostat, thought everything was great. We got back on the interstate, made it an eighth of a mile. It overheated again. We pulled off into the Indiana Tollway service garage, you know, for their vehicles, and they helped us out. And one guy said, well, your water pump's bad, so we drove to O'Reilly's. I bought a water pump. I changed the water pump in O'Reilly's parking lot, and we got back on the interstate and overheated again. Yeah. <laughs> and then, That's one of our things is if if we leave the house, we're breaking down. And then, <laughs> So I thought at this point, I'm thinking, what in the world could be going on? So I thought maybe somehow I put the thermostat in backwards. And so then we stopped at a road park, roadside rest area, and I pulled the thermostat housing off, which is on the bottom. And when I did, it kind of burped the engine burped the coolant, put it back together, and, and we never had a problem with that again. And then so the next day when so we So whatever got, that was, just by just by rejiggering the, the water pump. Yeah, well, nowadays I guess you have to burp the coolant system on newer vehicles, like okay. our old stuff, you didn't have to. And then so we made it to Missouri. When we got to Missouri, I went to the farm store. I bought a tractor headlight, replaced our headlight because the headlight had melted. What had happened was um, while the vehicle was sitting for that year, something had decided to mess it nest in the fender fender well oh okay. i left the lights on and somehow the light had gotten loose in the headlight bezel and heated up and set heated up caught whatever was there from the nesting (laughs) material on fire (laughs) so at least it wasn't wiring and all that not not a bunch of not originally but then i had to replace or jury rig a bunch of stuff i put a (laughs) i put a tractor headlight on there and a little uh indicator light yeah 
<laughs> and then we made it to Missouri, and it, this story gets even worse, I guess. We made it to Missouri. Uh, at, at this point in time, Austin was doing a show, was going to co-host a show with Don Poloff, who had a show called uh, Addiction Bow Hunt, Reloaded. A Bowhunting Addiction and Addiction Reloaded. So Don had went to Kansas City this day, and his cameraman was going to come with us We're and film. Northern Missouri's River, River Ridge, Ridge Outfitters Outfits. with Jamie Foley. We get loaded up in the morning, and at one point Kyle said, do you have a lock for this back door? And I was like, no, it's just got to be shut. And he's like, all right. And so then we get up, we all load in. So we got Bob and Kyle in the backseat of the Durango, which, once again, if you ever had a Durango, there's no room in the backseat. And I'm driving, Austin's in the passenger seat. And we get there, and it's about a 25-minute drive to where we're turkey hunting. From where you were staying? Yeah, from where we were staying. Okay. And so – we get there. I walk to the back. And he comes uh, running back. <laughs> he hops in the truck, and he slams his head down. And he's like, I was like, what happened? He's like, the worst possible thing ever. I was like, wait, you just found a dead body? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, the trailer doors are open. <laughs> and the trailer door was open, and we had this little wagon that Austin had his uh, his video camera, production quality video camera, all his extra ventilator batteries, his crossbow, two cameras. I mean, there was probably $10,000 plus in this At little minimum. wagon. And it all fell out? And it all fell out. It's gone. And we'd driven 25 miles through the northern Missouri, you know, and it's not, it's up and down and curves and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, no. And so then... At this point, I'm panicking, and I go to take off, right? I put it in gear, and I start driving, and they're like, Bob's not in. Bob's not in. Uh-huh. And poor Bob. He's got his one foot in because of the Durango. You can't put your feet straight, and you got to turn them in sideways and then twist them. And uh, so I started dragging <laughs> Bob through the field. And luckily, he got in, and we drove back, white-knuckled it all the way. And fortunately, everything fell out in the driveway of the, oh, of the outfitter. So. Um, broke his scope, but other than that, it was all good. Yeah. And then uh, – it sucks breaking the scope, but it could have been a whole oh, lot worse. Oh, it, it could have been way worse. It, it, was, it was pretty good. It, it turned out all right. Yeah, but don't worry. Eventually, I ran that can, camera over in Kansas. Yeah, he ran it. <laughs> yeah, he ran it right over. Trust my so, camera. So this was going to be 13 days, five states uh-huh. to get turkeys. How many turkeys did you get? Zero. Zero turkeys, hunted two states. <laughs> hunted two states. <laughs> killed zero turkeys. We spent three days trying to get to Missouri. And killed the Dodge. Yeah. yeah. Spent three days trying to get to Missouri, hunted Missouri, struck out there. Then we made it to uh, West Virginia. West Virginia, and we hunted with Austin's friend, Mikey Collins. Hunted this little town called Left Hand, West Virginia. It's, I mean, it's just a left-hand turn in the road, and that's what they <laughs> call it, it was Left Hand. And uh, we hunted, and it was just so awesome there, though, because we hunted on this, uh, and on this little mountaintop, there was a probably a three-quarters of an acre, maybe an acre flat spot. And tucked in the corner of it that Austin and I tucked up next to one morning. And, uh, There's an old Civil War cemetery. Civil War cemetery with about five or six graves in it. Wow. And uh, so we're on top of this mountain in West Virginia, and it's we're tucked right next to it. Austin and I are sitting up against the fence. And you can and see. It looks like you can see the world from where we're at. And, then, and the fog's lifting up. Oh, you're that high up? Yeah. Well, it, I mean, in West Virginia, it was that high up. But okay. their, their elevation is not super high. But um. And, yeah, we're sitting up there on top of it, and then the the sun starts coming up, and all the mist is rising off the mountain, and it was just kind of a surreal experience, you know, being there and, you know, next to that and thinking about the history and what happened on that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. The places we've been able to travel has been pretty amazing. But, I mean, we never never killed a turkey, but also when we were in West Virginia, 
we were driving across the bridge and got a flat tire. Yeah, we got a <laughs> nine o'clock at night, no spare tire because someone forgot it at home. We got a flat tire in the pouring rain. In the pouring rain. Oh jeez. Yeah. So and that's just our kind of luck. That's that's what we run into every time we leave. Well, I think a lot of people can relate to that because, you know, I tell you we've gone many places and, you know, and to think back growing up deer hunting, I can remember going out in the woods and I forgot my glasses. Well, for anybody who knows me, without my glasses, I'm blind as hell. And why my dad gave me a loaded gun and said, shoot a deer, I couldn't have told you whether it was a buck or a doe. Right. So he says, I'll, I'll be back over here hunting. And he went to his spot. I sat there. I couldn't have told you. I saw a deer. I never shot one. I actually went to sleep. <laughs> woke up to some deer standing, oh, geez, 15, 20 yards from me. And, but I no glasses i couldn't tell what they were so i'm like oh, i'm not gonna shoot you know and but so everybody's got those stories where they you know drop cameras or yep. you know i've gone out before where cameras and all of a sudden i look around i'm like where's the lenses yep i yep. brought the camera body but i didn't bring the lens yep we've been there too his uh the same camera there that fell out we were in kansas and we'd hunted in the morning and and we were loading back up and austin didn't want to take that camera because he got his new cameras and I'd really like to fill in with that camera. I said, let's leave it in the truck. I'm, I don't want to take any chances. I'm about to sell it. And I'm like, no, I love filming with this camera. Let me take it. So I take it. And uh, we get there, and we're loading up. And as we're loading up, we see two Toms go taking off across the field. And we're like, oh, no, let's hurry up, load them up, see if we can cut them off and call them in. You know? and, and as we throw the truck and get his wheelchair loaded, get him in the truck, I throw the truck in reverse, and I back up. And as I back up, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, what? What was that? <laughs> and then when I seen it was Osman's camera, he didn't talk to me for about four days. <laughs> but oops, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, pretty much everything we do, like he said in his elk video, is kind of a comedy of errors. We yeah have a lot of issues well, along the way. For anybody, you know, we've covered a lot, and, and we haven't even really covered a lot of the hunting that you've no. done, Austin, because there's so much more. Yeah, and you filmed a lot of it. Yep, and you do the editing of what yes, most sir. of it. Yeah, I edit all of it. Anything so, that we put together, I edit. And you post it all to YouTube? Uh, YouTube or Facebook. So what is your, tell us your Facebook and YouTube channels. Our Facebook is Jones Boys Hunting Squad. And I'm not even sure what our YouTube is. What's our YouTube, Dad? Don't uh, worry. <laughs> Jones I'll find Boys it and have a link something. to it in the show notes. All right. But all so, of our videos are on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, he's we're, only, we're more active he doesn't on have a lot Facebook on YouTube. We are on YouTube. It's Okay. So we'll send everybody over to the Jones Boys Hunting Hunt Squad and on Facebook, and from there they can see most of the videos, yep. Yep. if not all the videos. Yep, all of them. I also have a link to your YouTube, uh, so even what whatever's there, right. they can watch as well. All right. Yeah. And then what's your next adventure? Where are you headed to now? Uh, well, hopefully we're going to head down and do a little bit of hunting in Missouri and Illinois. Um, some late season stuff if everything hasn't dropped its antlers. <laughs> and uh, from there, we'll be going to the ATA show. Yeah, show season's coming up. Yeah. Yep. We'll go to the ATA and and, uh, and hang out there for a few days. And, and really, we've been there three years in a row. And well, this will we, be our third year, right? No, this will be our fourth year. Are you sure? I'm positive. And I it's am. in Louisville this year, you were yeah. saying, Austin? We've been to Louisville and then Indy twice. Yeah. So this will be our fourth year going to the ATA. And we've still only been through half of it and we always yeah, wind up so much there, we have you know? goals that we want to accomplish people that we want to talk to sponsors that we want to try to make some sort of relationship but we wind up just talking to people and we never get any work done 
And then it's, it's just a cool place to be. I mean, getting to—I mean, that's where you go. You get to—you get to meet all the people that yeah. you look up to in the industry. And the ATA show for anybody listening is uh, the Archery Trade Association. Yep. And that's not a show open to the public. No, it's not a consumer show. That is show. a trade show. That's a—that's a for the archery people. Yep. And a lot of the the television hunters are there. The archery companies are rolling out new product. Yep. They're—they're. Uh, they're, revamping old products they're they're just uh, literally as business yep. yeah that's it's, a, yeah it's, it's always cabela's buying it's bass pro buying it's every it's, mom and pop shop that yeah. goes to it buying yep. figuring out what their goals are for what they want to sell and use and right and it's no different than any other trade show whether it's beauty supplies or electrical supplies or whatever you know wherever they have their conventions or whatever that's basically what just it happens is. to be cool toys yeah yeah it's just having the yep. something we're all passionate about and we love and then so after that we're Probably going to try to hunt a little bit more deer and then get ready for Vegas. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to try to attend the Grand Slam Club Always show okay. in Vegas, which is a week before the Vegas shoot because Austin, I mean, as I alluded to earlier, one of his big goals is to, to do his best to get as many of the animals off the Grand Slam that he so can. are you talking to Tom Miranda? No. no. But if Tom Miranda is listening, he's more than uh, welcome to hit us up. <laughs> I, did, did he start that? He's no, tied into no, it somehow. No, uh, no, the Grand Slam Club was, I don't know, that started off uh, yeah, it was sheep the and goats. Yeah, and then eventually, I don't know exactly where the Grand Slam started, you know, the North American. Super big, Slam. Or Super Slam. Chuck Adams was the first. I couldn't tell you. I think, I think he did the first one with the bow. Yeah, I think Chuck Adams yeah. was the first one to do one with a bow. And then, uh, or was Dr. Jack Frost the first one to do it with a bow? One of those two. I know that. Now, but, are you, have you met the? Have you done the ten animal one yet? With what you've taken? No, I've no. got six. Six. He, he yep. has six species. I got so six far. of it so far. So well, you got the black bear, the antelope. Well, I, I guess I got five technically. Five out of the ten. Oh, you mean out of the super ten? Yeah. Yeah, but you have five out of the super ten, but you have six. Six species. towards the super slam. Okay. Six species. Altogether. And you got some of the hard. I mean, you got a buffalo. Yep. Talk about one of the harder ones. I mean, it's. For people in this area, we're in the Thumb of Michigan, and there is a, a guy that raises some bison around here. Uh-huh. So, but that's not what you shot. No, it's no. not like going out in a farm field. No, saying, we can I'll take that one. No, these were wild, free range, <laughs> fair chase bison in West Texas, and we it was stalking, and it yeah, was, so it was brutally hot. I mean, the sun was out. out. There was antelope's not another easy one. I mean, it it's easy. If you're with a gun, that's how I took mine. Oh, yeah, easy. Uh-huh. Um, is with a rifle, and I took it in New Mexico, which has a fantastic disabilities, you know, hunting yep. program. Um, and if you haven't looked into New Mexico yet, that's... I need to then, yeah. Yeah. We're not going to New Mexico. The hardest thing, the thing well, that I... I got like, my first speeding ticket ever in New Mexico this last summer, so... Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I didn't like about it is they make you take... I think New Mexico is the one where you have to take your scope off the crossbow. Oh really? You have to shoot instinctively. All right, we got a. We actually got a friend that makes a sight for crossbows. For instinctive shooting? Yep. Yeah. Well, it's well, it's, it's, it's a sight, but it's it's not it's, it's not, not a scope. Okay. So um, and so that's allowed. Bad River Outdoors. Yep. Ed Humper makes that. All right. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show as well. So that more like a traditional archery sight. Yeah. Right. Pins. Yeah. 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 Basically. Yep. Okay. Very um, cool. Um, we've never actually shot it because I've, Austin's I've shot there. with it. But yeah, not, I've never had it on my crossbow, but I've tested it out, and it's like it's it's a really cool thing. I like it. And you liked it so far? I love it. So, 
That's fantastic. I mean, I've taken up way more of your time than I, I want to appreciate. It's finally great to catch up with you guys. I've been looking forward to this since we're we're basically neighbors so close. Right. right. Yeah. Sorry yeah. we rambled and we didn't no. actually hit on a lot of the subjects that we planned no, it's on. Exactly. I mean, we touched on G5, which has been great for working with you guys. And, oh, yeah. And especially absolutely. if there's any contingencies and bar the contingencies, it's just a good product. Oh, yeah. G5. Yeah, yeah there's no... We don't get any contingencies. Yeah, because they he doesn't use. I don't use any G five product for competition. I just use it for hunting. Just yeah. for hunting. Yeah, yeah just broadheads, obviously. So and you still can show them. Hey, I whacked a buffalo or whatever. Oh yeah, they know they know. Oh yeah, he's... they know. Yeah. <laughs> and who's your taxidermist? Uh, well, we actually, a uh, few friends that actually just few friends, and then Mike Guest from Chelsea Taxidermy Studio. Okay. He. Uh, that guy, he he arranged last year. They had Austin's black bear and his elk mounted on stage at the outdoor rama there in Novi. Oh, cool! And through the Michigan Taxidermy Association, and then just recently, a couple of weeks ago, Austin and I took a a young boy, um, Ben. He's battle. He was battling terminal cancer, and we we took him locally to Green's Deer Ranch here in Carroll, Michigan. Uh-huh. Um, they donated a hunt for him, and Wheeling Team 457 and Operation Ninja Soldiers let him use a track chair um, during the week. and then Similar to this one? Yeah. Yep. yeah. We actually took Just Austin's like down one. to him, but Austin's acted up on it, and so then we got another one. And then uh, a good friend of ours, Ch- Chuck Denton, he – this is kind of a – Chuck lost his son who – Charlie, uh, that we Charlie, talked about earlier. Charlie. Charlie. I don't know if you saw Austin's uh, – did Charlie have the hat that had the antlers coming off of it? Um, was that his, the Charlie was from here from Croswell, Washington area, and yep. he passed away this last summer. And, yeah, I saw his and, family was selling shirts and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and yep. uh, so Charlie was a real good friend of ours and one of Austin's biggest inspirations because that kid was just amazing. But um, his dad brought his track chair and his shooting system, the adaptive shooting system, over for Ben to use. And, I mean – Chuck just lost Charlie a few months ago, and then so Ben was able to get his first year um, with his dad, and then is that the one where the person could use this the joystick and joystick? A, yeah, uh, a friend of mine from Crosswell used that to take a deer as well. Yeah, he probably did it with Wayne Steers, or I'm yep. guessing. Yeah, Wayne's Wayne's an incredible guy. If anybody Sturzer from Crosswell, you got to pronounce it right. Steers or Steers or whatever. <laughs> um, Wayne's awesome. His son wears skinny jeans. Um, <laughs> 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 but so anyways and so we were able to I don't even know where I was going that we got him out um and got, got the him his first year. Oh and tax dermis. So so Mike Guest reached out and and uh they're taking care of the mounting of it and then And that's uh, Chelsea Taxidermy? Chelsea Taxidermy Studio and then Stone Stone Point Taxidermy here in North Branch went through and did a European mount for him on the skull, I mean within three or four days. Wow. Um of which animal? Of his white tail that he got. The white tail, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. the only thing that he ever got. And then and we lost Charlie last or we lost, ben. we lost Ben last week. Last week? Yeah, last week. Uh three or four days after we five Tuesday. The Tuesday after we took him hunting on Thursday, so and I childhood cancer. <laughs> I'm glad he got the opportunity to get out there and, and hunt. Yeah. I'm glad that got fulfilled for him and he got to see that sitting in the woods and and just the camaraderie with the people. Yeah, and it, it gave him a chance to smile. He hadn't been smiling a lot the last few days. And when yeah. he when he drove Austin's track chair, 
his dad said that that was the first time he'd smiled since the Three Thursday days. before, you know. So, I mean, to not see your baby smile for a few days, and oh, then he it, smiled, and then as we were leaving. count the days it's been since they've smiled, that's a heartbreaker. Yeah, it, that broke my heart instantly. That's the, that night is the first time I've cried in I don't know how long. Like, that broke my heart seeing that. We were supposed to leave. Uh, we were all packed up, loaded. We were going to head to Missouri the following morning, and we went there and, and let Ben take Austin's track chair for a test drive, and then uh, we went inside and hung out with Ben and his parents for a little while. And ben, oh, good. Ben asked his mom, you know, and he was just the softest voice, and then he wanted to borrow Austin's track chair. And, and we had planned on taking him hunting on the 13th of this month, and then his dad was not sure, you know, he wasn't doing real well. And so <laughs> as soon as Austin heard that, Austin left his track chair there for him, and, and uh, he was able to drive one of these track chairs around for – I don't know, almost every day for the last few days of his life. And it put and Very cool. And he'd lost his leg earlier in the summer because of the cancer. Um, How old was he? Nine, nine years old. Osteosarcoma, I think. Um, wow. And, but, I mean, if, if anybody ever gets a chance to spend some time with one of these kids that doesn't have, you know, a, a, a lot of chances left, do it. I mean, it, it'll change your life if you get a chance to take a kid out. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean – share these experiences with them it's i've got to imagine just the ability to see the joy on their face and know that you're doing that for them and again i i give you both props because in this industry there's a lot of people that are takers and they don't and they fade out you see them it's easy to pick them out after a little while right but the good people are the ones that stay and you guys whether it be just contacting somebody to give them a, a good job or the videos that Austin that you produce to you know you and I talked about this earlier is there's no excuse why somebody can't get out there there's you know all it takes is a kid to get out there and and this that's the hardest thing is the kid to say can somebody help me and I wish that's where I wish we had this outdoor education in place of the PE yeah. is to get these kids so that we can sit there as hunters and say well, here's four kids that have an interest in going out there. Let's get them out, you know? Right. Don't worry. You're not giving away your honey hole. You're not giving no. away your secret spot. And even if you are, then do it. Do it. Damn right. Do it. You know, show the kid. Get, let him shoot a doe. Just the fact, and I don't care if you don't like the early not you guys, but just in general, the early season youth hunts where they see yeah. the big deer. I know people get agitated about it. If that's what it takes to get a kid hooked on hunting. Let yeah. them kill the big deer in the early season. I my, do not care. That's not my deer. I yeah. don't have a tag on it. My only, I've always said this, as I said, the only issue I have with them shooting a big buck when they're young is I don't want them to get discouraged when they don't get that big buck every right. year. Yeah. Right. And I'd like to see them start off with, well, here, here's a spike Small or game, here's right? a doe, something that gets them going. Right. Because I saw this 14-year-old kid in Texas his mom was dating this guy that had a big high fence ranch. Well, the kid's first deer when he was 15 was a 17-point buck. How do you top that? Yeah, 18-point buck? Well, right, <laughs> but I mean, if he doesn't have that opportunity and he goes out and he sees these four and six and eight-pointers, that's just not going to yeah, hold the excitement for him. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of the early season stuff paints a picture that's not reality. A lot of times, because you're not going to go out there and see big bucks every time. Right. And I want them to be I, – I really want kids to be excited about – like for me, November 15th, 
I still get goosebumps November fifteenth, yeah. and yeah. I don't go out. I didn't go out this year, but neither did I. I darn right that I November fifteenth is etched in my head deeper than yeah. December twenty fifth or yeah. any you know. Yeah, but I I guess my thoughts on that. I'm I'm all for the youth hunt. Yeah, because. So because we're losing hunter numbers and our hunter recruitment is horrible, and these kids, if we don't get them out hunting, which if if you don't want to take them and let them shoot a big deer, then take these kids rabbit hunting, take yep. them squirrel hunting, take them pheasant hunting. But then there again lies another problem: is all those seasons are during the prime time of the early bow season, and right. guys want to bow hunt, so we're not taking our kids out there. So we kind of have to let them hunt during the youth season. Otherwise, yep. we're going to lose these kids altogether. And if we don't get these kids hunting by the time they're 10, 11 years old, they guess what? They have lost them. Yeah, there's 10 million other things that these kids are going to be involved in. There's far more. I'm 48, I'll be 49. And when I was a kid, you looked forward to hunter's education because there oh, was absolutely. no such thing yep. as video. Video games was Pong. I, know, I didn't have any video games. And but. so in our, in our house, you weren't supposed to be watching TV at 8 o'clock in the morning. You get outside and you go figure out something to do for the day. Uh-huh. Yeah. I lived on a farm. We were running trap lines, and my brother and I, yeah. we were trying to build a log cabin. And yeah. I mean, and So now you can have a watch that tells you everything that's going on, a phone, this, that. So it's places like this Mid-Thumb Bowman's Club and, and places like this around the United States that the kids need to be congregating in. I don't know a kid that would – he might not or she might not want to kill a deer, but I don't know of a kid you couldn't bring in here and they wouldn't be, wow. This is fun. This yeah. is fun. Yeah. Mom, Dad, I shot arrows today. I shot targets. I was hitting bullseyes. I was, you know, they were showing me how to shoot these cool things called crossbows. Yep. You know, I was shooting regular bows. Whatever it is, you can't tell me that there's not a kid – that wouldn't be excited to do this. No. Oh, absolutely. And I if you're met a kid that's not, I mean, I have met a lot of kids that don't have the opportunities to do it. Bingo. And that's where it all comes down to. If if they're not brought up doing it, there's no chance that they're ever going to want to do it. And that's a big thing where I think that education in the schools, you know, yes, geometry, trigonometry, all that stuff's important, but no. so is. Life. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a great program out there. Well, there's a few great programs, but one that, that uh, since we shoot a lot of ASA stuff that we're familiar with is the uh, S3, S3DA. S3DA program. It's School Elastic 3D Archery. Okay. And, uh, I mean, that's an incredible program, but no one has really taken – it hasn't taken off around here, and we're not it's getting kids involved in it. mainly because it takes away your time to help yeah. a kid. Right, yeah. You've got to have the volunteers it's to keep the yeah. going. It's, Everybody's too it's busy. It's all about selfish. <laughs> people being selfish. So, well, I don't know if they're selfish or busy, but I mean, well, there's there's some people that it could people can give up their time. Right. It, it, there used to be the time available, so I don't know why there's not the time available now. Yeah. So it's it's a matter of priorities and what people want to put their effort into. Right. So I don't disagree with what you were saying, Austin. I I think it's just a matter of priorities. Um, so, you know, this has been fantastic. We've, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have a huge list when I go through this of, of your sponsors and helpers and outfitters you've worked with and all this. So, um, that you guys got the ability to share that with my listeners is fantastic. I really appreciate it. We've been here. I've I've taken up. I know you got to start flinging some arrows, so I'm gonna get yeah. out of your hair. Uh, so I, the time, got to meet Trex, 
He's been cleaning out your spokes on your truck, yeah. so you got a whole pile of mud over here. That's why his breath doesn't do so well. He's been eating mud. <laughs> oh, yeah. he's been eating foam, too, yeah. it looks yeah. like. Yeah, so the joys of owning a pit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anything is chewable. Right. Yeah. So you guys, I, I wish you good luck in the upcoming. I, I'm not sure if I'll be at the ATA. Maybe I'll see you there. And I'll, I'll be at the National Wild Turkey Federation. So if you guys show up there. We've so never been to that. Neither. I, I want yeah. to. That's, Everybody that's says it's one of the best places. really like to go ever. to. But. That's, I, everybody I've talked to is just like, oh, my God, you've never gone. It's, it's 40,000, 50,000 people coming through that yep. all just want to do turkey hunting. And yep. Speaking of turkey hunting, have you ever heard of Austin Turkey Call? No. You got a turkey call? You can't do this to me. I just did. <laughs> I might butcher Let, it the first couple Let's times. take us out on a turkey call. All right. Damn. <laughs> we need to get you a microphone. It, that, that's, I've, I've actually called in probably 50 times with that call. And there, you're not, you don't have a plate in or anything. Nope, nope. You're just doing that strictly right off the, off the cuff. Yes, sir. Fantastic. I'm pretty good, too. Yeah. I'm pretty good at just going in the freezer section. Saying, if you want a 10-pound or a 12-pound, which yeah. one do you want? Right. Yeah. Well, that's where we get most of our turkeys, but that's not where we hunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always like that cartoon of the guy blasting away the frozen turkey. Right. Yeah. Say he's got a turkey. Well, gentlemen, it was a pleasure to finally meet you. You too. Hopefully we cross paths out on the, the road because I can't miss your rig. Right. You guys got a just a great setup out there. So we've got now a three-person team. We've got Austin, your dad Jason, yep. and Trex. Yep. He's going to be traveling with us. Yep. So everywhere we go, you'll be able to meet Austin's dog. So we're going to have to figure out if we're going to train him as a service dog or a blood dog. <laughs> service dog that tracks blood. Yeah. A little bit. This is going to be the, the – by the time this dog is about 10 – He's going to say, you got to retire me, man. I'm, I'm, I've been working too yeah. hard. <laughs> He's going to see the world, that's for sure. Very cool. It's, it makes life better, and I've got to let one out of the car right now so he can use the restroom. But, gentlemen, it was a pleasure. Yes, sir. And uh, I wish you good luck coming up, and hopefully we'll cross paths in the show season, and then maybe we'll cross some paths here because I'm going to put a membership in for mid-thumb uh, bowman and uh, – be out here flinging some arrows. I want to. Right. I'm thinking I want to hit the ASA circuit. Right. You should. You should. Um, and then the IAA too, which is uh, a local circuit here in Michigan that's uh-huh. incredible for. Uh, they have incredible tournaments almost every weekend, someplace. Yep. Um, and that's it's a great organization. Oh, okay. And they also have their uh, their yearly Sportsman's Award. That's called the Austin Jones Sportsman's Award. So. Oh, is that? Yeah. That's yep. after you. Yep. Yeah. It's so. That's that's one of my biggest honors right there. And that's the I, IAA International IAA. Archery Archers Association. And so I think, they, so. I think yeah. they hold hunts all around as well. Shoots or shoots, shoots. I mean. Yeah. 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 Yep. So very uh, cool. So maybe I can win the Austin Jones Award. Maybe. You might be able to. Uh, one more thing about this club here, Mid Thumb Bowman's. Yep. If if anybody local is listening and you have kids, Jim Davis has an incredible kids program out here. Last year I. Uh, he said he had about 150 kids that were part of his youth program. Oh, yeah. And uh, they come from all over, and everybody's welcome. You'll have to get a hold of the club here and find out details. But if you have a kid, get them out here shooting. They have indoor. They have 3D. They have – And what they say? They got 40 acres here? Yep, 40 Yeah, there's acres. 40 acres here at this club. They have primitive camping, uh, you know, if you're a member. And, and yeah, just this it's is a great place. I, I'm just ecstatic with the benefits to here. Uh, just the ability to come and indoor shoot. Anybody who knows Michigan knows – 
the the one constant change here is the weather. Oh, yep. absolutely. They can tell you it's going to be sunny and it'll rain all day. So uh-huh. they build it to come and shoot indoors. And and they have thirty five yards yeah. indoors yeah. here too. Yeah, it's a good it's a good setup there. You know. Yeah. And I'm sure if you were in here by yourself, you could even back it up to 40. Well, but I wouldn't say that out loud. No, no, whatever. What happens when no one's looking, I guess, is what happens when no one's looking. But. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah, this is, you know, whether you're shooting 20, 25, 30 yards, it's a great setup indoors. Uh, you can't beat it. So I'm, I'm very excited. I With my cast off now, I'm going to be uh, – uh, and, and had I even remembered it was indoors, I would have been coming here with my cast on because it wouldn't have been a big deal. I believe there's uh, 3D shoots here all weekend this weekend too. Yeah. Oh, is there really? Yeah, there's the IAA Christmas 3D shoots. So. Yeah, because I noticed there's the yep. closure sign on the door. So. Yep. And I believe they're open to the public. You have to get on IAA's website or probably Medthumb Bowman's um, Facebook okay. page if anybody local is listening and wants to get out here and shoot. So. Yeah, so if you're in the, the Sanilac County, Tuscola County. Shoot, Lapeer County. Lapeer, Detroit. I mean, even the – even the Detroit yeah, St. County, Clair County, St. Clair County, close. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of a ride coming up here from, say, one of the Detroit areas, but it's it's well worth it, and it's something. There's hotels; you can get a hotel room around here. So, well, gentlemen, it was a pleasure. I'm gonna let you get back to flinging some arrows. All right, I gotta go hit some X's. What's that? We gotta go hit some X's. Yeah, yeah. It's time to get that sighted in a little bit better yeah. for yourself. Yeah, there's a big shoot coming up. <laughs> what? How long? Uh, Vegas is the second weekend in February, so. All right, so. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we we got, we got some time to train, time to but we got right. guys that are out there shooting 400 arrows a day that we got to shoot against. Yeah, you got to catch up to them. Yeah. yeah. So, and you're going to be all muscle-bound because you're doing the drawing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Or I'll be all broken down. Or <laughs> yeah. Muscle-bound or broken down. You one might or the other. need to get a young kid to draw the crossbow back, and then you help just with the aiming. Yeah, yeah. like a caddy or something. Like exactly. Caddy. All right. Exactly. I think mean, now we're getting out of my, my price range. You're going to move from free to what? Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Oh, you just, it's, in, it's called internships. Inter- yeah. All right, all right. It's called yeah, interns. Yeah, where, where else yeah. are they going to get a job I doing mean, that after right. they serve this internship, though? Right. I mean, there's, there's, well, that's their problem. Right. There's a lot of kids out there that have extreme goals to cock crossbows for a living. No, but but you sell it as you're getting tournament experience. Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, learning so, how to <laughs> how to navigate the tournament. Right. So, how to cock a crossbow under pressure. There you go. <laughs> well, gentlemen, have a great afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you guys take care. All right, thank, thank you. you. Come early spring, it's getting green. Fisher on the bed, and hear those turkeys gobble. It's ringing in my head. The winter rides bass boat, here comes another year. Yeah, we command the outdoors round here. Oh, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake, flipping jigs in Carolina rigs. From early morning till real late, 
Bonfires on the creek bank, kick back a couple beers. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's does until you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands. The fever starts to creep. Fill our freezers full of ducks, lots of tender deer. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we. So grab your guns and shells, boys. Put on your camouflage. Cause we command the outdoors around here. We command the outdoors.